this morning. Man, what in the world? No, that's a joke. All right. Tough crowd. Um, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastor teachers here at Peninsula Grace, uh, main teaching pastor. And as many of you know, if you've been here, we've been a growing church, added two services last September. So it's just been exciting to see God grow our church. And we don't just mean numerically. We are seeing the Spirit of God working, changing lives, making disciples for the kingdom. And we ask that question, if, as we lift up our hands, will you meet us here? Will you visit this place? And the place that we're talking about, God inhabits, he says in his word, the praise of his people. We're not not talking about a building, the people of God are the meeting place of God, and the only reason, the reason that he will meet us, the reason we can ask that question and expect a confident, resounding yes from our God is because of Jesus, amen? And as we come to him in his name, he will meet us in this space, and he'll live in and through us, and it's God that's building his kingdom, and we're excited about that process, and in this process of a growing church, uh, we know that we need help, we need more staff. I'm the only full-time staff at our church, the only full-time pastor. We do have um, eight other lay elders, but they're laying that work on top of uh, wife and children and full-time jobs. And so one of the things that we've been looking for uh, for the last couple of years is for another staff member. Uh, we're calling it a family pastor. In this last week, we've been candidating a man by the name of Ross Schold. And on top of one of the main responsibilities he would have at the church would be equipping and discipling our, our families, our, our children's and youth workers, as well as providing contexts uh, for discipleship. Uh, he's given, the Spirit has given each of us gifts, and we are called, each of us, to be making disciples and discipling one another. But how do, how do we train up small group leaders? How do we train up and see accountability partners uh, and relationships thriving? And, and we see that as a role that's kind of beyond my capacities and what I already have on a week-to-week basis. And so we've been candidating Ross and his wife, Monica, and their uh, baby, Micah, are here with us. They just moved back up to Alaska. We're excited to have them here. And one of the responsibilities that, that Ross would have would be to occasionally uh, join me up here in the pulpit, taking a turn preaching from the word, and so we want to hear his heart uh, this morning, and so if you, brothers and sisters, would help me, uh, welcome to the stage, Ross Schold. Thanks, uh, Justin. Uh, thank you, guys. That's, that's encouraging, and it's really encouraging to be here with you all this morning as I uh, unfold this st- uh, stand here. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm excited. It's been really encouraging the last week getting to know many of you. Um, it's been so encouraging to be welcomed by so many of you into your homes and get to know you uh, in that setting. And I really, we really appreciate this opportunity. We're excited uh, to be back home. As Justin said, um, my wife and I and our son, Micah, just, uh, we just moved back uh, to the Salatna area after living in uh, South Carolina for the last five plus years while I've been in seminary and then serving uh, as a pastoral resident in a church there. And so we're excited to be back home. Um, we're excited to be uh, with you exploring this kind of potential role and opportunity for partnership in the gospel. Our hearts, uh, the whole time we were in South Carolina, our hearts were growing. God was growing our desires and our, capacity, uh, and our, and our longing to be back here and to see gospel renewal take place in this city and in this area. Um, and... Um, yeah, and it's been great this last week, and we look forward to the potluck, getting to know some more of you at the potluck this afternoon, uh, if you're able to stay, or then, if not, on Tuesday evening, uh, right out on the lawn. Uh, look forward to it. Our passage this morning is going to be found in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, we'll read 
7 through 11. If, if possible, if you have a copy of Scripture, either in digital form or in print form, I would love if you could have it um, in front of you this morning. And the reason I say that, the reason that I, I, I would love that is because uh, ultimately nothing I say this morning, what, nothing what I'm about to say carries any weight on its own. Right? Whatever I say as a finite, as a broken, and as a sinful man uh, must be at the end of the day measured against Scripture. Uh, and I would love if you had the Scripture in front of you so that you can hold me to that. First uh, Peter is like about 90% of the way through the, the Bible. It's at the end of the New Testament. Like if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. It's after Hebrews and James. Um, and my prayer is that as we look at the, t- the text, the Word of God this morning, is that Scripture would speak to our heads, right? We would be able to grasp it intellectually, uh, and that it would also speak to our hands, or hands, this is our hands, um, that we would be able to, that we would walk away with some practical takeaways uh, from it. But, but more than either of those two things, my prayer is that, this, that, that, that Scripture and the Word of God by the Spirit of God would speak to your heart. This morning, that the Spirit would massage the truth of the gospel deeply into the core of who you are. So, as w- with, with that in mind, let me let me pray toward that end, and then we'll read the text uh, in front of us. God, you are a good and a perfect Father. You are our true King and the sustainer and giver of life. Would you give life? now through your word. Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? And would you inspire us by your spirit to live in humble boldness for your glory? And would you lift up Jesus Christ higher in all our hearts? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so let's read First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another constantly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the words of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. some of you know uh, that my wife and I recently completed a month-long road trip up uh, from driving from Columbia, South Carolina, all the way up to Soldat, Alaska, and, uh, and that sounds like a really great idea, I'm sure, at first blush. Uh, but uh, in a lot of ways, it was really fun. But in a lot of ways, it was super challenging. Uh, it was it kind of pushed us to our our limits uh, because we were driving in a SUV, towing a trailer with all our possessions. We were trapped in that car with a three-month-old who doesn't always like car seats uh, for 7,000 miles over the course of, uh, uh, of a month. And, 
Now, we, I don't hear me complaining. We got to see a lot of friends and family and see a lot of the country. It was great in that way. But, uh, but in a lot of ways, it, it, it was challenging, right? And, uh, and probably the most difficult prob- part of our move up there was the feeling like we were just out of place, like we were kind of homeless and stranded and strangeless for over a month, right? We were constantly rummaging through our trunk trying to find something or through a trailer. We were living out of suitcases. We, were, we, uh, we never really felt settled or like we were uh, in, in a place of our own. And, and on top of that, every place we stopped uh, just was strange. Like we'd never lived there before. We didn't know the, the people other than maybe the, the family that we were staying with. We didn't know the, the rhythms or how things worked, where anything was. We were you know, always constantly using our GPS to find even just the simplest things. So uh, it was just strange. We were strangers in a strange place. And when you're driving through the middle of New Mexico desert at 2 a.m., you feel strange. It's just you feel like you're in a strange place. Um, but, uh, um, and, and I think my main, my main point in all of this is that when we live as temporary residents, right, when we live as sojourners or, or strangers in a new place, when we go to visit another country, like many of you, I'm sure, have uh, far more uh, extravagant experiences than, than, than just this, uh, it, it, whatever it is, it comes with certain costs and challenges, right? And making it through an extended journey or an extended time in a, in a new and a strange place, it takes kind of an endurance. And at least for my wife and I, that endurance and that kind of resolve only came when we realized, like, oh, the road trip's going to be over soon, right? We're gonna f- one day we're going to reach our destination, and that just helped us kind of put the gas pedal down and set cruise control and go. Um, but we, we know that there will one day be an end to traveling, to strangeness, and all the uncomfortability of living on the road. Right Now, in light of this, it's really profound that Peter, in this letter, he's writing in the first century to churches that are kind of scattered around what is today the modern country of Turkey. As he writes, he describes the people of God, that's like you and me, and, and including these first century churches, he, he describes them as strangers, as ends, and as exiles. That is, he considers us temporary residence in a strange and a sometimes hostile country. But he also gives his readers, who have been kind of uprooted and are in many ways spiritually homeless, he gives them a foundation and roots by pointing them to Jesus and the glorious hope of his return and the culmination of of all his redeeming work to bring about a new heaven's and a new earth in which all our sorrow, in which all your anxiety, in which all your loneliness and frustration, in which all of that will be completely undone and set right. And our passage this morning that we just read, it's, it's one of those places uh, in which Peter points us to this glorious fulfillment of Christ's purposes. He reminds us that the end, in verse 7, or better, maybe better rendered, the, the culmination, the building up of, of all things is near. Right? The road trip is going to end soon. And then he says this, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Uh, now this word sober, it can really uh, just kind of simply mean kind of better understood as just right thinking or clear-mindedness, just viewing reality, viewing life with respect to reality. Now, 
given that, why, that seems kind of obvious. Don't all of us just want to view reality correctly, right? Nobody wants to go around deceived or, or, just, uh, or completely uh, ignorant. Uh, it's the same word that's used to describe uh, a, a, guy, a guy who was demon-possessed that Jesus heals in Mark chapter 5. It says, I mean, this, this guy was crazy, he was insane, he was self-mutilating, he was hurting others, he was, he was, he was crazy. And after his encounter with Jesus, uh, Mark describes him as just sitting down in his right mind. In other words, viewing life within reality. He was no longer intoxicated, uh, possessed, and influenced by the demonic spirit that indwelt him. So then why does Peter tell us that we must be in our right minds and live in accordance with reality rather than some altered state? That, that seems obvious, uh, right? But apparently Peter didn't think so. And I think if we're honest uh, with ourselves, each one of us would admit that we often allow ourselves to become intoxicated. And don't, don't hear me uh, saying anything even about um, alcohol or drugs, but we, we, uh, we allow ourselves to be, although that is, that is the case, we allow ourselves to be intoxicated and to operate under the influence and be driven by not ultimate, our ultimate and glorious hope in Christ uh, at the culmination of all things, but instead by some lesser and ultimately unsatisfying hope, right? The greatest stumbling block uh, keeping us from fixing our hope on Jesus and the culmination of all His glorious purposes is that we've tricked ourselves into thinking that we can have some sort of heaven here on earth. Right? And it's hard to long for and to yearn for Jesus' kingdom and greater intimacy with Him when we spend all our days longing for and trying to build our own kingdom. Right? If I was on a road trip from South Carolina to Alaska, and then a week later you saw me driving through, down through Mexico, you'd tell me I wasn't thinking straight. I wasn't thinking in accordance with geographical reality, right? Uh, just like if someone told you that he loved his wife with all his heart, and he spent all day flirting with his female coworkers you knew he, would lie, he was lying to you, right? In the same way, we can't expect to cultivate a greater longing for Jesus when we spend all day cultivating a greater longing for things like career success or financial security or accumulating toys and leisure time or, or seeking to, to fulfill our longings for intimacy in some human relationship. All right, so Peter just tells us, don't become drunk on all that stuff, right? Don't be dulled by it or lulled into a mindless pursuit of those unsatisfying, shiny objects. But he doesn't just leave us there, right? With this kind of like seemingly impossible command. He goes on to describe how to endure with clear thinking and what endurance looks like. And, and what he pushes us toward in verses 8 through 11, as we will see, I think it's very surprising, and in many ways, at least for me, it was counterintuitive. Right? We will see that he does not push us toward a kind of a dogged isolation from and a hatred of the things of this world. He, he, instead, he pushes us into deeper community with the fellow strangers and exiles amongst whom we find ourselves. He pushes us toward a community that is shaped by the gospel that we are to hope for. In other words, Peter calls us to faithful endurance by calling us toward an uncomfortable understanding 
of the local church. So this morning, I want, uh, we will look at three aspects of that enduring gospel family. All right? We see the first mark of that, uh, that kind of clear-headed community in verse 8. It says that it will have constant love for one another. Now, you might have in your version like the word earnest or, or sincere, and those are, I think, helpful words, but literally, the word there that's uh, describing our love, it means to stretch, right? To, to extend. Uh, our love is to be enduring and elastic, right? Because the kind of love that Peter has in mind here is not just kind of warm, fuzzy feelings for one another, right? Uh, but it's the kind of love that stretches and it's sacrifice for one another. And it's, maybe more accurately, it's the kind of love that is only seen within the fires of relational conflict. Right? Love to Peter is a love that, at the end of verse 8, we see, covers a multitude of sins. Right? The measure of our love is evidenced by the way you and I respond to those who sin against us. All right? And this is most fundamentally true with respect to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or at least it begins there, within, as Peter would write later in the chapter, it begins within the family of God. Those whom we have committed to gathering with and serving and loving. Right, so, and we know this is true in, in uh, the, the, the figurative or spiritual family of God because we know it's true in the literal family, right? When my son, who's three months old, when he sins against me, I, I said sons, I, that, that was, that, I shouldn't have put the quotations around sons, I should <laughs> he is my He is my son. Uh, <laughs> but when he figuratively sins against me uh, by waking me up at 2 a.m., right, uh, uh, or maybe when, a, when, a, uh, when an older child uh, throws a tantrum or is caught in a lie, right? How we respond to, to that uh, tells us a lot and reveals a lot about how we love our children, right? right? If we fly off the handle in rage when somebody sins against us, or, or maybe on the flip side, we bottle it up in and, and, and anger and allow it to simmer and fester like, a, like, a, like an infected wound, right? then clearly we are not living out the kind of love that covers the sins of others. Now, if we know that's true in the literal family, how much more so is it true within the family of God, the family which God himself is building by the power of his spirit? Now, when you find out that someone has gossiped about you or has misrepresented you in some way, how do you retaliate against that? All right, when you feel overlooked or unacknowledged for something that you've done, do you, do you turn inward and to kind of begin to rehearse all the negative things that you can think of about that person? Or are you like me, when I feel sinned against, you just kind of choose to, choose to withdraw, right? You, you disengage from the relationship or the community and you say, you know what? I don't need to deal with that person or that group or that ministry uh, if they're going to treat me that way. Right? Or do you instead stretch to overlook and cover the sins of others? Now, don't hear what I'm not, not saying. We don't ignore sin, especially um, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship. We, we, don't, uh, we don't 
push things under the rug in that way or keep sin in the dark. In, in fact, for, for, for every sin, if you, if you consider yourself this morning a, a follower of Christ, someone who has put your trust in a gospel which has covered your sin, then we realize that even when sin is covered, even when it's forgiven, all sin must be dealt with eventually. Right? Someone has to bear the consequences for your sin. But it takes, this, and that's exactly what Christ has done. But it takes discernment to recognize when we should simply overlook another's immaturity, something that parents just kind of do all day long, right? And, and it takes a sense of, uh, 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 and in a sense, kind of take the consequences of, of their sin in, onto ourselves and say, you know, that, what they, that person did or said to me, that stings, but I don't need to respond harshly to them right now or, or even really take offense. I don't need to dwell on that. Right? If, my, if my wife confronted me every time that I sinned against her, either knowingly or unknowingly, our life would just be a kind of a constant loop of, of conflict. Just, just that's who we are as selfish human beings. Right? But with great patience and stretching love, she covers a multitude of my sins. But there are other times when sin needs to be confronted, right? With gentle boldness. There are many times when we need to say to another member of the body, brother or sister, uh, your words or actions, they really hurt me. They betrayed my trust. And I want you to know the effect of what you did had on me so that we can pursue reconciliation. But here's the important thing to remember, that even when we have those kinds of hard conversations, even though it doesn't seem like we're covering up sin, we're dealing with it head on, we are living out the gospel. We are following the example of Jesus. For the creator of the universe, he took on the weight of all our sin, all our guilt, our shame, our failures, our inadequacies, our mistakes, and he bore them on his shoulder. He did not just sweep them under the rug. He faced them head on to cover them. Though they were offensive to him, though we had offended him, and sinned against him. And this was no light thing, for he suffered in agony for three days. Right? And with his death, he completely blotted out. He completely covered over the sins of all those who had become simply united in his death by faith. And now, though we, um, though we still struggle, he was raised from the dead to a resurrected life so that we can walk in newness of life. And though we are still sinned against, we can look to and trust in and press into the Christ who covered over our sins and in turn cover the sins of others. So the, the community that endures with clear-minded, patient hope is first marked by stretches to cover sin. But it's secondly, we, we will see in verse 8, it's secondly uh, marked by those who stretch to share our lives with others. That's our second point for this morning. So look with me in verse 9. It says, show hospitality to others without complaining. Without complaining. Right? Those last two words, they're really, uh, they're really telling, aren't they? Right? They move hospitality, uh, kind of a common everyday thing, uh, or, or so we think, uh, away from being merely a practical thing, and he connects it to our hearts. Right? It reminds me of when I was younger and my mom would tell me things like, 
now I want you to clean your room or eat your vegetables or do the dishes, and I want you to do it with a joyful attitude, right? That made it so hard, right? Almost impossible to, to follow. Um, and, um, and, and likewise, Peter's command here speaks to our hearts. But the command to show hospitality without grumbling teaches us even more so that biblical hospitality is a costly endeavor. Peter expects us to inconvenience ourselves by opening up our homes and sharing our lives with other brothers and sisters, so much so that we would be otherwise tempted to complain about it. The question is then, uh, how will pressing into biblical the biblical practice of, ho- of hospitality help a community endure with clear-minded hope. How does, that, how does that work? What's the connection there? Well, hospitality in its most basic level simply means love for strangers. That is caring for the outsider. And Peter is calling us to invite those with whom we share no natural commonality, those who are outside of our social group, those who, whom we are not n- naturally drawn into, our homes, those who, by, by identifying with them and having in your home, you gain nothing socially or, or in any way. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, she's, a, she's an author who lives in the, on the East Coast, and uh, she wrote a great little book. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I would uh, uh, highly recommend that book. It's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a little book, green. I should have brought a copy with me. Um, and, but in it, she describes the practice of biblical hospitality as this. It is simply welcoming strangers as friends and friends as family. And as we do this, we create spaces and opportunities as, uh, for us to encourage one another and point one another toward Jesus. This is exactly what we find in Hebrews chapter 10. You'll see it on the screen behind me. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting at when he says, spur one another on by not neglecting to meet together. And he doesn't just mean on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, in order to encourage one another. That is how endurance is possible. By the saints gathering together throughout the week, throughout their lives, encouraging one another. Yet hospitality, this level of sharing our lives with one another, is so countercultural. Right? It goes against who we are as sinful humans, and it goes against who we are as independent and rugged Alaskans, right? But the call to regularly share our time and our homes and our resources with one another is so central to our longevity, both as individuals and as communities. And this is because Christ himself is our truest and greatest host. Right? He welcomes us who are strangers, who are aliens, and even Scripture calls us enemies of God. And He invites us to come share table fellowship. That is true communion with Him and the rest of the people of God. And He has done this without complaint for the joy set before Him. And He did this by offering Himself as a substitute. We were strangers, now we can be called sons and daughters of God. And though we were enemies, we are reconciled to him, for he is our peace. And therefore, Paul can write in Romans 15, verse 7, 
that as those who have been welcomed by Christ, we welcome one another. Not out of, and not out of a sense of, oh, I guess if Jesus did it, i got to do it. But out of a, this is the gospel that forms and shapes and has transformed my life. It's just the natural outworking of the gospel in our lives. But hospitality is still difficult, right? I, I know it, you know it, we all know it. Especially for those of, of us with kind of active kids and bedtimes and busy schedules, right? Having others into our homes or just kind of making spaces in our just ordinary, everyday life for others, it can be difficult, right? But let me encourage you with, with just three quick things. Firstly, hospitality does not need to be extravagant, right? Sometimes we build up this idea, oh, if we're going to have people in our home, we've got to get everything, every surface clean, every, you know, and break out the fine china. But honestly, like, a, me- a simple meal of soup or beans and rice, that'll do just fine, right? And secondly, it's so worth it, right? The benefits of regularly opening your doors uh, will pay dividends in return. You will be blessed, I promise you this. You will be blessed far more than you will be a blessing to others. And then thirdly, developing a lifestyle of hospitality is one of the best things that we can do as parents and as, fam- as a church family to disciple our children in the faith. Not only are we modeling a life of, of service to others and modeling what it looks like to stay connected to the body of Christ, but we're also exposing them to the relationships with, to, to other adults in our church family, other, other believers who are filled with the same spirit, who can offer them wisdom and perspective and gospel truths that we just simply can't due to our limited and finite um, perspectives, right? Um, I know that I don't have all the wisdom that my son will need as an adult, right? My wife and I simply can't provide that for him, right? We need other believers to be able to speak hard and encouraging truths into his life. So developing family rhythms in which we are spending a significant amount of our time throughout our weeks with other believers in ordinary and everyday type settings is crucial for a church's mission to shepherd and disciple its children and youth. So then two questions. Does the way that you relate to the Peninsula Grace family facilitate a common life which builds a community that's shaped by the gospel? Or does it facilitate the fractured individualism that we see in our culture? And then secondly, What's, what's one step, what's one way you could involve another into the regular, everyday rhythms of your life or your family's life? How, what's one thing you could do to develop a more hospitable way of life, even just this week? Now, as we move to verses 10 through 11, we see here a third mark of an enduring, clear-minded, hope-filled community of believers. We've seen that. First, we'll be marked by love that stretches to cover sin. Secondly, we'll we'll be marked by lives that are stretched to welcome others. And then thirdly, we'll be marked by gifts that are stretched to serve others. Peter tells us in verse 10, serve one another as each has received a gift from God. Actually, let me read that, those, those last two verses for us again. It says, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks 
as one who speaks the words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Have you considered that command recently? Serve one another. I know I need to ponder it continually. Serve one another. Right? If, if you and I, if we consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, then any time we gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, my behavior is to be marked by service. My posture, not to be one of receiving, but of pouring out. Now, as we consider this call to serve others with the, the gifts that we have been given, Peter does not leave us to f- just figure life out on our own, right? He gives us both the how and the why of service. He tells us to serve as good managers or stewards of God's grace. In other words, nothing that you have is really your own. Right? When you gather with the saints, whether on Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or at a home group or any other time throughout the week, you are to act as an investor, pouring out your time and resources for the building up of another's estate. And he, and he, he even says that it doesn't really matter what gifts you're using this, in this way, as long as you're using the gifts that you've been given. All right? Whether you've been gifted to speak truth or, or serve practically, you're to do it with the reverence with the vigor and with the diligence as though you were indwelt by the same Spirit of God who spoke creation into existence. Because you were. You are. Now, what we have here in verse, in verse, in verse 10 um, is really kind of, it's not an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts, right? Um, scripture really doesn't ever give us this, but really he kind of helpfully lays out two broad categories. These are the types of gifts that are going to characterize the body. Firstly, uh, there are those of us um, who, who edify others with their words, right? Whether in large gatherings or whether in smaller Bible studies or whether in one-on-one conversations, you may find that your words help others grow to be more like Christ. And then there are others of us whose actions uh, facilitate growth in Christ, right? Maybe you find that you love giving gifts or you find yourself naturally drawn to have compassion on those who are hurting or in pain and maybe in an unusual way. Um, or maybe you just love working with your hands or behind the scenes and you, you've seen how other people benefit from your labor. Now, whichever uh, category you, you find yourself in, and maybe you find yourself in both, and certainly we're all called to speak words of truth and we're all called to labor behind the scenes, but whichever category you find yourself more naturally drawn to, the call is this, press into that role and devote your entire life to it. And then Peter turns the corner at, at, uh, at the end of verse 11. And he says that we do this, we act as good managers, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So as we serve one another, we as kind of ragamuffin, ragtag children. We are built into a house and family that increasingly points a watching world to the splendor, to the beauty, and the grace that is found in God's gospel. This is what we are called to do. We're not 
called to uh, build our own kingdoms that will eventually disintegrate, right? And more than this, this is what we were designed, this is what we were shaped and fashioned for to point to the glory, the beauty and splendor of Christ. Not to settle for the tarnished glory of the idol of ourselves, right? That will only dissatisfy, and, and honestly, it only leaves us feeling used and useless. Instead, we are to be used for the glory of the kingdom. This is exactly what we, the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, it's on the screen behind me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So look, look with me at what Paul writes. He says, He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all we attain uh, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then skipping down, by speaking the truth or living out the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love this is the vision this is the direction this is the goal that 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 christ has in mind for peninsula grace as a family and for his entire global family the measure of the fullness of the stature of christ himself Right? This is where we are headed. Right? Are, are, are we on board with this vision? And do you see yourself fitting into this in some way? This means that when we gather, right, we show up early, we stay late, and we, we ask, not what, what can I get out of this meeting or this, this conversation or this Sunday morning service, but what can I contribute and offer for the benefit of another? And we pray things like, God, would you provide at least one opportunity for me today to, to do or to say something that would point another brother or sister to greater Christ-likeness? This is what it looks like to stretch our gifts to serve one another. Now, I said at the beginning, my prayer is not that we would walk away knowing more about Scripture, though I hope maybe you learned something uh, my prayer is not that you would walk away feeling condemned or guilty, that you're not doing more, though I hope it was practical in some ways. Uh, instead, we come to the Word, every time we come to the Word, whether it's in a large gathering, whether it's in the morning before we, uh, as we're sipping coffee, or whether it's uh, as we go to bed at night or in a, in, a, in a small group setting, when we come to the Word of God, it is the Spirit of God who does the work of God, and He does it deeply in our hearts. So my prayer for you, Peninsula Grace family, uh, is that you would be a fellowship with your hearts set on a hope that will truly satisfy you. Right? That you will know that the end is near and it will be glorious and it's worth being clear-minded for. And that as you stretch to forgive the sins of others, as you stretch to, to live lives that welcome outsiders, as you stretch to serve others, you might experience the joy of His gospel more deeply and more truly than you ever have before. 
for with all this kind of stretching, right, that we're doing in every direction, we might ask, how, how do I keep from stretching too thin, right? How do I, I only have so many hours in a day, and I still got uh, a family and, uh, and a job. Like, even the most elastic piece of rubber eventually breaks. And I would only say that, that we endure in this kind of stretching love, that we can wake up every morning and say, I'm going to stretch again by looking to the one who was stretched for us. He was stretched to cover your sin with his blood. He invites you, he stretches to invite you into his own family around his own dinner table. He, he stretched to stoop low in joy to serve you, carrying a cross, washing your feet and dying a death that you deserved to die. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And when he rose, if you have simply put your trust in him, you rose with him. So let his death and his resurrection buoy your heart and your soul to stretch for others. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, your word uh, is truth. So would you sanctify us? Would you make us more like your son through your word? That's what you prayed for us uh, just before you, you yourself died. Uh, I pray that uh, you would not just uh, give us the strength to live out the moral, good Christian life, but you would uh, uh, empower us by your spirit uh, to follow you, and that more so your spirit would, would work deeply in each of our hearts this morning, uh, forming us and molding us, and, and, and that we might find more and deeper and truer satisfaction and joy, and that we would find that as we press into your body, as we sacrifice and stretch, Lord, we would find joy in you. Father, I pray that your word would change us, and we uh, commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen.